Live from the First Midwest Bank Studio on State Street, this is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Jonathan Hood. WMVP Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports. Stream ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Let's talk some Bears. Let's talk some NFL draft with friend of the program, Trevor Maddich. College game day on ESPN Radio here at every Saturday during the season. College football analyst joins me, Jonathan Hood, right here. On Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Trevor Jonathan Hood, thanks so much for your time. Jonathan, great to talk with you. How's everything with you during this uh, this pandemic, during this uh, crazy time in our country? You know, we've been fortunate. My wife and I have been uh, have been blessed. We've got no symptoms. We're hunkered down, although it was a little hairy for a quick short time. I was actually on my college tour uh, earlier in March. And my wife was with me. Uh, she was doing some things of her own. And we got out to California, and we were in or near Bakersfield, California, which is kind of south-central California. And all the rumors started to hit of a potential national quarantine. And so at that moment, we uh, bugged out and drove straight from Bakersfield, California, to Nashville, Tennessee, without stopping, basically, except for gas. So it's been, it's been kind of hairy, but we made it back okay. And... Um, We've been fortunate. I know a lot of other people have not been as fortunate as us, and so we're grateful. I know that you are always look forward to that uh, college tour because right around this time we'd be looking at uh, spring games in college football, but uh, it's good that at least you're safe, and uh, it's better than uh, you save some gas because now you, you went right back home, so you're good. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we have been made good. We, we, listen, we, I, I couldn't believe that we made it. I drove basically just so that she could sleep. Uh, all the way from Bakersfield to to east or excuse me west of Memphis. The last hour, I just couldn't do it anymore, and uh, my wife took over and uh, she brought us home. Well, Tre- Trevor Maddich is with us as always. We love to get his uh, thoughts about the upcoming uh, NFL draft every year. So I'll ask you this, Trevor: uh, uh, Who was the best player you saw in college football last year? The best player individually. It's a tough call between Chase Young of Ohio State and Isaiah Simmons of Clemson. And if I were to pick one as the best player and the most impactful, uh, I would have to tip to Isaiah Simmons. Now, he's a linebacker, a tall guy, fast, wide receiver speed in the 4-4 range. He can play linebacker. He can play safety. uh, He can play even slot corner for a short period of time. And there's all kinds of things he can do. He can come from any angle and be disruptive, and you don't know what he's going to do or where he's going to do it or where he's going to come from. And I really kind of am reminded of former Pittsburgh Steelers safety Troy Polamalu. Mm-hmm. Now, Simmons athletically is taller, he's faster, he can do a lot more things than Polamalu. But the way the Steelers used Polamalu is the way I think Simmons will be used in the NFL, where he'll, again, come from everywhere. He'll blitz, he'll cover. He'll do all kinds of things and do it in a way that's very disruptive. And so if I were to pick one guy that stood out more than any other, it's Isaiah Simmons for that reason. 
you know, I think a look at the the quarterbacks that are available here in this upcoming draft, and of course we see the story of Joe Burrow and how LSU had such a terrific year. What uh, what are some of the traits that Joe Burrow brings uh, to an NFL team based on what you saw from him in his career? Joe Burrow, the first thing you have to have as a quarterback in the NFL is accuracy. And Burrow is very accurate. Next thing you have to have is accuracy under pressure. And Burrow is uncanny when it comes to throwing the ball under pressure and dropping the dime, not just uh, on a rope or not just putting it high in the air and dropping it into a bucket at a high trajectory, but whatever style of trajectory and throw the coverage requires. He is amazing that way. I mean, I, it's one of the reasons I'm not really impressed with any quarterback throwing in shorts at a pro day because everybody and everybody can throw when you're in shorts at a pro day. The question is, what do you do when there's a guy in your face about to knock a few teeth out? And Burrow has shown that he can have the same accuracy under those circumstances. He's also got the ability to read defenses and all the mental stuff. But when it comes down to it, his, his uncanny knack to put the ball where it needs to be, regardless of pressure, is what sets him apart. Trevor Maddich from ESPN College Football Game Day uh, every Saturday during the season. With me, Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand-new ESPN Chicago app. Trevor, when you look at the, the offensive linemen, is there someone in particular that we should keep our eyes on because the Bears are going to be in need of uh, offensive tackle uh, and be able to look at maybe a guard? What stands out about the amount of offensive linemen that are available? You know what? There are... Uh, there are guys at the top that are fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jedrick Willis of Alabama, tackle. Andrew Thomas of Georgia. Tristan Wirfs of Iowa. I'm sure you guys have talked about those guys. But once you get below that, then you've got to pick what you're willing to compromise on. For example, Josh Jones out of Houston is a tackle who really made a big name for himself at the Senior Bowl, did really well against the elite competition in Mobile, Alabama during that week of practice and during the game. The problem is when you watch him on tape, you see that he doesn't really have tremendous functional strength right now. And even though he did well at the Senior Bowl, his overall body of work tells me that he needs at least a year in the NFL weight room before we'll really know if he can play tackle in the NFL. You look at Isaiah Wilson out of Georgia. He's a a mauler, man. He is no question about his strength. The question is, if you put him out at right tackle – does he have the footwork to be able to stay in front of those elite pass rushers that NFL defenses are now putting over the right tackle and be able to block in space to protect the quarterback? And he didn't show in college that he's incredibly nimble of foot. So you might have to move him inside the guard. You know, Then you take a look at a guy like Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State. He's a guy that is moving up a lot of people's draft boards, and he is extremely athletic, very effective as a Mountain West tackle. But when I watch him on tape, I don't see a lot of dog in him. In other words, I don't see him finishing guys. When he's got the opportunity to bury a guy, pancake him, and dominate him physically and morally, a lot of times he'll just sort of pull off and go back and huddle up. You know, you need a guy like a Jack Conklin who just loves the concept of physically dominating another human being in order to play offensive line in this league if you want to be able to really establish a dominant running game. And I just don't see that dog in Ezra Cleveland. I may have it, but I didn't see it when I watched him on tape. So 
So after you get away from the top guys, Jonathan, you got to pick what you want to compromise on and what you think you can develop. Trevor, the uh, Bears picked up Jimmy Graham, and uh, Jimmy Graham's got a lot of mileage on him. I understand that Ryan Pace, the general manager, knows uh, Graham from his time in New Orleans, so there's um, a connection there. But you know, for Nick Foles or for Mitch Trubisky, there's got to be a, a, another tight end, if not now, then for the future. I, I'm looking at this list, and I saw Komet play, obviously being close to Notre Dame, saw him play, saw Pinckney from Vanderbilt. I don't see a bad tight end out of the first three or four that could be projected to go. Anything stand out about the tight ends to you? Yeah, you know, I, th- there's a disappointment that stands out, and that is, uh, Jared Pinckney out of Vanderbilt. I mean, I was very disappointed at his combine numbers. He, uh, I thought, would be faster than he ran. I hope that he ran as slow as he did at the combine because he had an injury and that he can fix that or that he has fixed that at a pro day. I haven't seen that happen. But here's a tight end that ran 4.96. Tight end ran 4.96 at the combine. There were a whole bunch of 300-plus pound defensive tackles that ran a lot faster than that at the Combine. And so even though Pinckney was productive, you know, if you want to take a chance on him, you've got to do it on day three or even lower in the draft in order to be able to uh, to justify that. But there is a guy besides Komet that you may want to look at, and that's Adam Trotman out of Dayton. He's a guy that has really kind of risen up a lot of people's boards. He's a hybrid tight end. He's got good size. Uh, he can He can block plenty enough. But he's shown the ability to be very productive as a receiver as well. He's faster than Pinckney, and he's a guy that should be available in the mid to late rounds. I'm curious on what your thoughts are on what the Bears did by acquiring Nick Foles. And we've seen Foles a number of teams. We know that he has the penchant to be able to step in as a backup and be a starter and flourish. But what what do you think of, of the your evaluation of Trubisky and the move to bring Foles in? It says a lot about Trubisky, does it not? You know what? It, it does. And I think it's, it may be, and I think the best thing you can think um, – of Trubisky relative to this and what you can kind of extrapolate from it is that they're trying to uh, light a fire under him. You know, we talk about the dog in you, right? One thing about Trubisky at North Carolina that I was concerned about when the Bears drafted him to begin with was that he seemed to disappear in big games. In other words, there'd be huge moments in huge games where North Carolina had the ability to take over and they had the, the skilled people on offense to be able to distribute to. And Trubisky would disappear a lot. I mean, just disappear. It's not that he played poorly. It's that you didn't even know he was on the field almost. And when he got to the NFL, I was hoping that, that he would show some anger. He would show some of that refuse to lose that guys like Kyler Murray show. I mean, guys that, you know, the junkyard dog and the last bone in the yard you go after with a vicious vengeance. And that's what I wanted to see out of Mitchell Trubisky. Well, and watching him play for the Bears, he's shown a lot of flashes. But once again, I'm just not seeing that. But maybe he has it and he expresses it in a way that wasn't apparent to me. And so I want to be, I want to be fair to him. At the same time, bringing in a guy like Foles, I don't think will make Trubisky a better mechanical quarterback. He's already good as a mechanical quarterback. He's got the tools. What I think it may do and what they may want from that is to make him an angry quarterback. And I think that will make him a more effective quarterback.
Uh, Trevor, I heard what you said uh, about Dwayne Haskins. I was wondering, do you have your Redskins cap handy? Can I ask you a Redskins question? Sure. Okay, put on your Redskins cap. I want to ask you, so um, you're, you're, you said too recently, not too long ago, that you felt like the Redskins should not draft a quarterback, someone to push Haskins. Is it because you believe in Haskins, or do you believe the Bear, that, that the Redskins should just not draft a quarterback because Haskins is the guy? Well, there's a little bit of both. I mean, I don't know that Haskins is the guy, but I do know that every week that he played for the Redskins last year as a rookie, he got better. Now, that wasn't hard to do because he started out really, really poorly. But every week he got better at something that you could quantify, you could measure, you could see it, the improvement. And he didn't really have a setback. And so I don't think there's any reason to draft the guy high to compete with him right now because he hasn't yet shown that he's hit any kind of a plateau. That's thing number one. Thing number two uh, is that I'm against drafting quarterbacks in the first half of the first round anyway. And it's not because you don't need an elite quarterback to make the Super Bowl. It's because if you look at the last 10 or 12 Super Bowls and look at the quarterbacks who started and only count them once, so Brady only counts once, Peyton and Eli only count once, right? You'll have about 50-50 guys that were drafted in the first half of the first round in the back half of the first round later than that or not even drafted by the team that they started the Super Bowl for, like Drew Brees, who was drafted in the second round by San Diego and so the Chargers. So the so getting a, drafting a quarterback high, if he hits, man, that's fantastic. But you've got, I think, a better chance of having an issue with a quarterback uh, failing than you will with a position player failing if you draft them in the top 16. So, again, I'm not saying you don't need a quarterback. I'm just saying that, you know, if you pick from the guys you will get in the top 16 or the guys that are not in the top 16, that whole big universe of players, recent history shows that you're just about as likely to get a Super Bowl starter either way. I just um, – I'm not going to pass judgment on Haskins from last year. I just would say that I hope that he learned from whatever mistakes – that uh, that he made last year. I was just kind of weird to not be around during during your special teams after scoring a touchdown and then signing autographs. That was kind of an odd thing. But I'm going to say that that's I'm going to chalk it up to youth and that he'll get better because other because I'm not going to be like my guy Doc Walker and then spend three hours railing against the kid. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to yell. But I, what I will say is is that hopefully he's learned from his mistakes and he can be that mature quarterback to be the leader for years for the Redskins. Yeah, what happened was he uh, at the end of a game, Redskins offense was playing poorly. He was a starter. He was doing okay, but it, he wasn't. And then the last two drives, uh, he led field goal drives. So the last field goal was uh, the turned out to be the game winner with about a minute or so to go. He came off to the sideline, and the fans were talking to him, and he thought the game was going to be over, and uh, and the defense was going to go on the field, right? Well, he goes over and signs some autographs, and what ended up happening was there was a turnover, a turnover, I believe, that happened, and the Redskins' offense went back on the field while he was signing an autograph and taking – or not signing an autograph, taking a selfie. And so the backup quarterback had to go in to to take a knee in victory formation. So that's – you know, that's what Doc's upset about. And and the thing is, if he had a a kind of a history of that, of being a knucklehead and not paying attention – 
then I would be really upset with it. But what this does actually is it's kind of good because now he's on a, a very, very, very short leash when it comes to uh, not paying attention to things. Because the next thing that he does where he's not paying attention, either in preparation or on game day, that will be brought up forever and ever and ever. So actually it puts him on notice, and I think it will help to focus him a little bit. And, and the, now the new coach is Ron Rivera, someone that we know very well in Chicago. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, I um, I, I was a producer for Ron Rivera when he retired. His first year in broadcasting was during the 94 strike. <laughs> and he would, and he did well actually, because there was no football to talk about. It was kind of the baseball strike and what was going on in '94, and, and Ron was great. And so I was able to get a relationship with him. And then his days with Carolina, and now with Washington, it's a no nonsense guy. It's very old school, and uh, I think he'll do well. Yeah, I think he will too. And the thing is, he and the Redskins have have kind of put out smoke signals that they might be interested in Tua at number two. And who knows? Maybe they are. I mean, look at what the Cardinals did a few years ago, or a lot, I guess two years ago, last year. You know, they had Josh Rosen, who was a top half of the first-round draft pick at quarterback, and then, then they turn around and take Kyler Murray at number one at quarterback with a new head coach in Cliff Kingsbury. Well, now the Redskins have a new head coach, and that could happen, but I think it's more likely that they were just trying to see if someone would believe that they want to, uh, and therefore trade up to number two to get to a. Uh, you know, so I, I kind of think there might be some some Machiavellian subterfuge going on there. But Ron Rivera is the kind of he's sort of the anti uh, Jay. Oh, come on, his, his brother Gruden, the anti Jay Gruden. There was a lot that I liked about Jay Gruden, the Redskins' former coach. But the thing is, he he wasn't a disciplinarian, and the Redskins, after a while, really desperately needed that, and he couldn't provide it. And Ron Rivera will come in, and he doesn't need to be a disciplinarian because you could tell by looking him in the eye that if you step out of line, he will rain on you. And if you don't, if you toe the line, then you're going to be in good shape. And he doesn't need to say a word in order to convey that. And that's one of the things that the Redskins needed in their new head coach. Trevor, I'm glad that everything's good with you and your family and uh, stopping by talking draft with us. As always, I appreciate your time. Thanks, Jonathan. Anytime. I really appreciate you having me on your show. Absolutely. It is uh, Trevor Maddich. You can hear him during the fall, during college game day on ESPN Radio, right here on ESPN 1000, as a matter of fact. Uh, the college football analyst with us here on Under the Hood. All right, coming up, we will t- tell you what, boy. This guy, Dana White, just continues to have the sign turned on his business. Business open 24-7. The neon light never goes out for the UFC. It never says closed. Always open for business. How about this new thing that the UFC is doing now that's next on UTH? This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and ESPN Chicago app. we got Tales from the Hood coming your way at 8.30 or thereabouts. We'll go back to our NBA conversation with Chicago's own Kendall Gill. He'll be with us at 9 o'clock. And by the way, an hour from now, we will give you Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Some of you online have asked me about 
my thoughts about WrestleMania. We have a special guest, Josh Lopez from ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. He will join me to talk about what happened at WrestleMania. We'll get into that in an hour from now. So if you're a wrestling fan or know someone that is into wrestling slash sports entertainment and they want to talk about the event uh, emanating from Orlando, Florida, we will get to that coming up in one hour from now, Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday right here on ESPN 1000. Boy, I tell you what, you talk about a guy that is always trying to be open for business during this very, very difficult time that we're going through with COVID-19, the uh, the shelter-in-place that we are dealing with and seeing every day. You can't avoid it. It's on our social media. It's on our news. And it has impacted um, uh, people around us. But for Dana White in the UFC, he's open for business because there are a lot of businesses. And, of course, the unemployment numbers are have skyrocketed because of what is going on here with COVID-19. But uh, a couple of things before we hear from Dana White. One thing is, is that WrestleMania took place in Orlando. And who knows when that was taped? That could have been um, a week ago or two weeks ago. I have no idea when WrestleMania was actually taped. But. You know, with COVID-19, you know, unless you are a, a business that has to be open for people, you're open. But for some reason, WrestleMania took place, and I'm sure there were hundreds of people behind the scenes in Florida working on WrestleMania to put it together. So that's not a, a necessity as far as a store or something like that that's open. It just happened. And the same thing with UFC. Dana White is so committed to resuming operations in the midst of this global coronavirus pandemic that he has secured a private island to host the events. Now, on one hand, if you are a diehard sports fan, and why, of course you're a diehard sports fan, why would you be listening to me if you were not? If you were interested in sports or entertainment, that's why you're listening to me, because you want to know the latest news, opinions, thoughts from me and others when it comes to sports. But White told ESPN on Monday that he secured a location in the U.S. to host the UFC 249. It takes place on April 18th. And it's going to be 12 fights overall. But it's going to be in a place that's not in an arena like in the contiguous United States, as far as I can tell. It's not going to be that. It's going to be on some private island. Let's hear from Dana White on his idea for his upcoming fight for UFC 249. So this place where this fight's going to be on April 18th, um, I have locked up for two months. So I'm going to continue to pump fights out. I've also secured an island. I've got an island. The infrastructure is being built right now. We're going to do all of our international fights on this island. So when April 18th, when we do this fight on April 18th, international and local, you know, uh, in the United States, we're going to start cranking. The UFC will be back up and running internationally and here in the States. So April 18th, UFC 249, so literally April 25th, you could have an event. We are. We're going back to back to back. We're just, we're, we're getting back into our regular schedule. Mm-hmm. So we, we will have postponed three fights. We'll make all these fights up and we'll be right back on schedule uh, starting April 18th. And are those cards are those cards already together, or is that that those cards no. are under construction? Under construction, yeah. We're working on them now. How about transport? How are you planning on getting these fighters to your secret location? Where, so what <laughs> we're going to do them? is we're going to get the fighters somewhere, uh-huh. and we're going to bring them to this location. 
they won't know where they're headed to. Okay. Like, like maybe they'll collect like geographically, like if some of them are closer. Yeah, we're working on or? it. We're working on it right now. But there's going to be, you know, definitely mm-hmm. some planes involved and things like that, especially mm-hmm. for this island when we pull off the island. Wow. So Dana White, during this global coronavirus pandemic, is doing all he can to get these fights on a private island to host the events. Now, I will compare this to WWE only in this regard. As I mentioned, WrestleMania took place and there were no fans. Because if, if someone has not watched this, I should probably paint that picture. There are no fans at this performance center that they performed in in Orlando. But you know that there was a ton of people behind the scenes. And we know about the washing of the hands. We know about how you can have a six-foot distance between people. How closely are people on top of one another to try to get that event started for WrestleMania? And the same thing with UFC. Wherever this is going to take place, I'm sure all these fighters will be tested. But there's still that risk factor. Far be it for me to be a guy that says, no, you can't do this. All I'm saying is that Dana White is just hell-bent on trying to put an event out, even if there's no fans. I don't know. And to do it in a way that's so clandestine and so shady is going to be in a private island. And I guess this is going to be in the United States. Maybe it's going to be outside of the, who knows? But UFC was forced to postpone three events, March 21st, March 28th, and April 11th because of coronavirus. Even as other leagues remain shut down, White has been bullish that the UFC is going to remain and resume operations by its next pay-per-view. It's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. Dude, is hap- he's doing it anyway. No matter what, he's going to be open for business. He, he, I'm sure he was frustrated that he couldn't get his little events on on the 21st, the 28th, and April 11th, but he just has to do it. And it's just like, I think during this time, it is difficult to try to force feed anything at this time. All these other sports are trying to figure out when they can get back on the calendar, but White is just going to have his fights no matter what. It's, um, I, I just think it shows a lot about money doesn't it? That if you're a millionaire or a billionaire in the case of Vince McMahon, or if you're Dana White, a millionaire, probably, probably close to a billionaire, and you are hosting these UFC shows, you'll find a way through the red tape to be able to have these events, even though all these other events have been postponed. They'll, he'll find a way. And uh, from, I understand from Dana's standpoint, it's his willingness to try to entertain, but you know it's about money also. The first thing you look at is money. It's about how to be able to get more money for what's going on here. And I'm just surprised. I, I, don't think I, I don't think I'm running these shows because here's the thing, and we're going to talk about this with Major League Baseball a little bit later on the show. It's not just about the fighters. It's about the people around the fighters. You've got to make sure that all these other people around the fighters are tested. If these um, events take place, what about the hotels that these uh, fighters are coming from? Are they going to come from their home? They're going to be picked up uh, at certain places to go to this private island and and then flown back? How is this even going to work? It's not necessarily about the fighters. It's about the people around the fighters. Are those people healthy? Are those people infected? Those are the things you got to think about. It's not about whether or not Tony Ferguson is ready to go, Khabib ready to go. It, it is it is about the other people. Are they healthy? Are they, uh, are they uh, without symptoms that they can be okay to work with these fighters? 
to be trainers for these fighters, to uh, clean up in their area, janitors, uh, workers around the, the clock to try to make sure that this goes off well. <laughs> you want to test everybody that's on this island to make sure they don't have COVID-19? It's quite the undertaking just to be able to have your event on this deserted private island. Very, very interesting times that we live here when you're trying to force feed sports when we're going through something very serious like cor- coronavirus. But we'll see how this goes. Tales from the Hood is next. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Follow at TweetJHood on Twitter. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. What do you got there? This is your car. My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Tales from the Hood with Jonathan Hood. On ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here we go. Tales from the Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Don't forget to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com, tweetjhood. Also on Instagram, igjhood. Uh, Follow the station on Instagram as well at ESPN underscore Chicago. Tales from the Hood, stories of sports, entertainment, everything else in between. And during this time, last couple of weeks, we haven't... We delved into the uh, stories of the weird as much because we know the stories that's going on right now, but we still can be able to be topical during Tales from the Hood because when we go through our stories, it's like, well, obviously it's about what's going on in our real world with uh, the coronavirus and everything else. So we've kind of bypassed that over the last week or so to do topics uh, like this one. So on my Facebook wall, facebook.com, Jonathan Hood, I asked the question, what is your favorite stadium or arena outside of the state of Illinois to watch a game or concert. And we've got a a long thread that's been lasting for a while here, as a matter of fact, uh, regarding um, the favorite stadium or arena outside of Illinois to watch a game or concert. If I did the topic of what's your favorite stadium and arena in Chicago, it'd just been a flood with Wrigley Field, some guaranteed rate, some Soldier Field. So I said, you know, that would be boring. But I want to know... And this will help me when we can get a chance to travel again, uh, some places I would love to go at some point. And so, Kamar Zuman, my good friend, is the first one on here. He said, due to my limited sample size of seeing games outside of Chicagoland, I'd go at Miller Park. Miller Park is on here at least seven or eight times. I've said from the time that Miller Park was built, my first year going to Milwaukee to see Miller Park when County Stadium was uh, torn down, Miller Park is the is a stadium that the White Sox should have built in that Miller Park is a beautiful park with the wide concourses. I enjoy going up there at least four or five times a year to see a Brewers game when I'm in the area. I love going to that ballpark. And I think the White Sox now would guarantee rate because of the things that they've done here to uh, make it more fan-friendly. They've made some adjustments. Reinsdorf was listening to the fans there to make sure it was more fan-friendly. The food's always been great at Miller Park. And the same thing at uh, Guaranteed Rate. The point is that the Guaranteed Rate is better than it was that when it was the white elephant that they built to uh, make new Comiskey. But Miller Park is a terrific place. Um, uh, I enjoy that ballpark. Let's see. What else do we have here? Jerry Palm. Boy, Jerry Palm is, is dying here today because Jerry Palm is like, 
Ah, you know, he's a guy here that's in the bracketology for CBS Sports, and he's got to just be like inside. He's got to be like crushed that he hasn't been able to do his bracketology because uh, yesterday would have been the national championship game uh, for the NCAA. He loves Mackey Arena, of course, um, and uh, West Lafayette. Brendan says San Francisco Giant Stadium. Don't know the name of the stadium, but it's absolutely beautiful. It's been called a number of different things. San Francisco, I've always... Uh, JD took his son there last year. He said that they actually did a San Francisco-Oakland trip where the A's and the Giants were in town and said that he enjoyed himself in San Francisco. Uh, only problem is that San Francisco game went like um, 19 innings or something like that. His son didn't want to leave. <laughs> so... <laughs> So you're battling the West Coast like uh, you know time zone when you're a Central Time Zone guy, and then you're up there until seven to eighteen innings uh, watching the Giants game in San Francisco. But he said he really enjoyed that stadium. Um, let's see, I'm scrolling down here. A lot of Miller Park here. Um, James Creed says, "Oh man, I loved Comerica. Um, Comerica. I'm uh, in Detroit. I have not been to Comerica." Shame on me, I got family in Detroit, but as I always tell you, you know, when I go to Detroit, I make sure that the family does not know I'm coming because they always get their hand out. You know how that is, Davis. I mean, you yeah. notice. <laughs> Comerica fits right in nicely in that downtown area, though. It's similar to uh, what formerly was Jacobs and now uh, Progressive. It's a uh, street level right there in the outfield, so you can actually just walk down the street and look right into the stadium. It's a very nice stadium. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, looking here, Mercedes-Benz Dome in New Orleans. Boy, that's a tough place. I, I, I don't, I've never been to the Superdome as a fan, but I've been there as a media person. And it is, it is tough because you are going up like five or six different elevators and like a freight elevator just to get to the top of that thing. It is cavernous. There's a reason why it was called the Superdome. Because it is, it's a long, long walk if you go into a certain area. And it's like these hidden uh, elevators in that building. It's a, it's a, it's nice sight lines once you're in there. But boy, that place has been around for a long time. The Superdome. Yeah, it definitely wasn't built for modern day sports casting or sports reporting. <laughs> definitely not. I, mean, I was on. But it four. is a great home field advantage. It is. Yeah, yeah that it is. It's like I was. I think. It, most of the time I've been there, I've been at the very top of the dome, very top of the place, um, covering events for the Final Four. Um, someone says, Miguel Atkins says, Dodger Stadium, never been. Driven past it, never been. Love to go to Dodger Stadium one day. Um, that, by the way, you never hear any issues about Dodger Stadium as far as you know issues of, of it being too old or anything like that, or there's issues... You know, like, like we had a Wrigley Field not too long ago with Wrigley Field and, you know, how the concrete was falling down and stuff like that. I haven't heard that from Dodger Stadium. Yeah, what takes longer, the game or getting in and out? Well, you know. <laughs> if you pardon the expression. Yeah, well, I understand, sir. Um, <laughs> uh, Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis from George Dwyer. Um, have not been to that stadium. I heard it rocks, though, that it's really nice. Uh, Fenway Park is amazing, says Matt. Let's see what else we have here. Um, a lot of Fenway Park here. I have not been, see, I haven't been to Boston. I don't think that's very suitable for the big guy either. I gotta butter my hips to get in those old seats from the 1920s. 
I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> like, I need to be in a place where I can sit down comfortably. You got to get you next to the organ player, man. You can sing, you can sing Sweet Caroline. <laughs> no. Well, seven, in the, seven in a no, stretch. No, that would make that's me you, run huh? out of there. No, that would make me run out of there. <laughs> that's, that reminds me of, like, me being in Lexington when they're – the guy's playing Old Kentucky Home right in my face with the big trumpet. I'm like, okay, let me get up out of here before they come get me. You know, you know who they are. <laughs> the, the Kentucky Wildcats, of course. Um, it, here's one place that I've seen online that I'd like to visit one day, and this is the Red Rocks um, concert. Have you seen pictures of this, Davis? No, I haven't. Okay, Google. We'll do it together. Google Red Rocks concert in Colorado. Rocks uh, concert. Okay. So I'm looking at this right now and it's an amphitheater. It's in Morrison, Colorado. Do you see a picture of this? It's Red Rocks Park and Amphitheater. It yeah. is gorgeous. They can change the lighting and everything. Yeah. Yeah. To customize so, the event. That's beautiful. So so the to, to paint the picture... Someone decided that it's a good idea to put bleachers, and not like your metal bleachers. Like it looks like concrete bleachers, uh, and I don't know how many it really seats, but it's right there in the middle of the Rockies, where it's almost like they they chiseled uh, um, uh, a mountains away, so people can be able to sit there. And when the lights come on, the lights hit the the um, side of the mountains real nice, and there's a, a spot in the middle, right toward the bottom in the middle to have these concerts. That looks cool. That looks cool. Yeah, it's really cool. I'm just wondering... Like, Everybody, yeah, of... people should go check this out, man. It, it's go interesting, Go Google right? it right now, Red Rocks Concerts in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah, that's an experience. I, I will put that on my list. Just to see what that's like. like. Absolutely. Now, here's a question. What do you see there? What do you perform? Yeah, who's performing? <laughs> <laughs> who's performing? <laughs> well, Charlie Daniels, maybe. <laughs> it's like, is, is Kanye going to be at Red Rocks Park in, in Amphitheater? Would he do a, a soulful Sunday for you on that thing? Uh, a I'm Sunday church at Red Rocks? He might. He's doing the Easter service Sunday. See, that's what I down mean. Down in Houston, Texas. So, see, he, he would do something like yeah. that. But I would like to experience that one to see what that all looks like, though. But if you have not seen a Red Rocks Park and Amphitheater, Morrison, Colorado, to Google it, it is... Um, the pictures of this thing, just do a Google, a Google image of it. It's very interesting. Very unique. And apparently people on my Facebook wall have uh, have seen this. Cameron Yards in Baltimore is uh, is on this list. And, um, you know, a couple places I want to go. I'd love to be able to go to... Uh, hold on, maybe I should close this window. It's, it's coming down. There's, you, I hope you brought your umbrella. <laughs> it's, it's pretty... It's coming down big time. Uh, I like to be able to go to Tuscaloosa once. I have not gone. Are you trying to go to uh, to Alabama, Alabama game? game? Mm-hmm. Plenty of seats available, depending upon the week you go. Well, I mean, I mean, honestly, of course, when when they're playing, of course, that, that's the only time I really want to go. You go when they play East Tennessee State or somebody like that. It was definitely a non-conference. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when I get some get some room. What's that week? Is the the right before the Auburn game is when they play like a Division One. Double A team? Yes. Yeah. 
so that way, because I know they're not showing up for that, or they're leaving early. That's what uh, Abdallah tells me that. Yeah. You know, Saban's very frustrated that the fans leave too early. So I'll, I'll sit in one of those. Um, yeah. So I'm just looking at this list, and a lot of it is just a lot of it's Midwestern or out west. MSG. Paul Huber says Madison Square Garden. First time I went to Madison Square Garden was with Jason Goff. Right. We were there for four days, three. Yeah, I think four days, five days. And we were covering a boxing event at Madison Square Garden. My first time in the garden. And we go upstairs to one of the uh, the areas of the garden. We go inside. We go upstairs. And I just, like, stood there just for a second. Because I don't know if it was... It might have been Jason's first time, too. And we were just kind of looking at the stadium. And just kind of looking around at the pageantry and the history of Madison Square Garden. And, like, after 10 seconds, Jason's like, Okay, I'm about to get a cigarette. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that great moment that we shared in New York, <laughs> and he did, and that was it. He was done. I don't know if that was his first time or not, but I think he had enough of it after like ten seconds and seeing the potential rats that were going to be in that ma- in the uh, Madison Square Garden. Now you talk about the Superdome. Talk about the what, having to go walk down all of those stairs on the way out, coming oh. out of the garden. Oh my God! Yeah, especially yeah. when it's packed for a concert. I've seen three concerts at the Garden. My favorite venue is actually in New York in this Radio City Music Hall. Oh, okay. I've seen about four concerts there and I caught Alicia Keys there and I didn't know how it was going to be staged. Uh, John Legend was her opening act, as a matter of fact. Duh. And I didn't know how it was going to be staged, so I bought tickets to the left of center, right about the third row, and it just so happens that she placed her piano on her stage setting right there at the left so she was facing away from me the entire night. Uh, I'll let you think about that. Uh, well, I can imagine. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> that girl was on fire. <laughs> I'm not sure she was. And that is Tales from the Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Coming up next, here's a coach that can't stop talking. You think, here's When you, you think about coaches that are bright personalities in sports, there is a great difference between common sense and someone that understands that common sense is not common. We'll get to that coming up next. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood. Listen to me. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. And the ESPN Chicago app. Over here we've got uh, Kendall Gill coming your way at 9 o'clock, as well as Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday coming up at 9.30. If you're a wrestling fan of Noah One, make sure that you are tuning in as I'll talk to Josh Lopez from ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. We'll get a chance to uh, break down everything from WrestleMania over this past weekend right here on ESPN 1000. I think that if you listen to Chicago's College Tailgate, a show that Adam Abdallah, Chris Black, and I host during the fall, you've heard us play sound bites from Mike Leach. And if you know who Mike Leach is, he is uh, he is a verbose, um, supposed intellect that has a lot of deep thoughts when it comes to things that's not even college football. It's about 
life for him. A lot of different odd things. As a matter of fact, Dan Levitard has had him on his show like multiple days last week to just give his thoughts on everything from food to fashion to culture and everything else. Well, following a controversial tweet by Mike Leach, Mississippi State Athletic Director John Cohen issued a statement Tuesday saying that there is a plan in place to provide the first-year football coach with opportunities to, quote, expand his cultural awareness of Mississippi. So the story goes that there was a tweet that was erased by Mike Leach, and he had to uh, issue an apology for the tweet that he put out there. It was a tweet that was a kind of a meme of a woman that was knitting a noose, and um, it was something that clearly uh, is uh, not only is effective um, in a negative way to the people of Mississippi, but just in general, because of slavery and hanging and all those things, to the point where there was a recruit or two that left the program. Uh, because of the tweet that was put out there. So Leach removed a tweet, which was posted last was posted Wednesday night, last Wednesday night. And the caption says, after two weeks of quarantine with her husband, Gertrude decided to knit him a scarf. And it was Gertrude in this old picture knitting a, a noose. The tweet received nearly 3,700 3, likes, but also criticism, including some from Mississippi State players. Among those critical of the post was Errol Thompson, who responded, with a hand on a chin, eyebrow raised, thinking emoji. Um, Leach says, I sincerely regret my choice of image and tweets uh, were found offensive. I had no intention of offending anyone. Of course he didn't. He didn't want to offend anyone by putting a noose out there saying, and again, he thought that was funny. Uh, I'm not someone that's easily um, offended. I'm not part of the cancel culture when it comes to these things. But I just think that sometimes you could be so smart that you're dumb you could be so such an intellect that you lack common sense there's a, such a thing of that by the way you might know people like that that can speak so eloquently and can speak with such profundity but yet doesn't even know just the common sense and can't read the room properly and that is uh, as annoying as anything else because if you are so smart why can't you realize that in 2020 that that is going to affect some people? This is not about cancel culture or political correctness. It's not about that. I, I love the term political correctness because it, that's something that is really a, a big nothing. It's just two words put together. It's not about political correctness. It's about correctness. It's not, nothing political about it. So it's not, it has nothing to do with politics. It's not being political, trying to appease someone. It's about just being correct. And if you feel like that you feel like putting that kind of depiction out there for everyone to see and how you feel, if you put that out there, you think that's correct, then you probably shouldn't have your job. Simple as that. And I'm not one to try to get someone fired because of something that was put up there. But this is supposed to be some guy that's smart and is humorous. And he does something like this. Now, this is the same Mike uh, Leach, by the way. A tweet of a doctored video of former President Barack Obama sent by Washington State University football coach Mike Leach uh, in June may have cost the school $1.6 million. Washington State's Vice President of Marketing and Communications, Phil Weiler, said that the tweet did not result in donors asking for their money back, but some did tell school officials that they altered their plans for future giving. Again, it's a retweet in. I know that Mike Leach is a Republican, 
So he should not be punished for the uh, how he votes, but he should be punished for not using common sense, not being able to read the room. You want Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, everything else in between on, on your side when people are paying you millions and millions of dollars. You want to be able to not look at party. you got to be able to look at, hey, does this make sense? If I do this in my, in my stature, my status as a head coach, um, does this make sense? Mike Leach has given up his right to be just a regular citizen trolling people or putting up things that there are old tropes, tired tropes. He's given up that right when he became a head coach. You can't be like just everybody else. And again, it's not about political correctness. It's about being correct. And the correct thing is, is to stay the F off of Twitter. How about that? Kendall Gill is next. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.